This week on the podcast, we talk about feet, we talk about shoes, we talk about cross-country track and why you really need to do the work before you start running so you don't get injured and you actually have fun doing it. Hello and welcome to the Average to Athletic podcast where each week we talk about how to be a high-performing human. This week we're going to talk about running and out of all the things in my life that I figured I was going to be passionate about, feet is not one of them, but it all ties in together, your feet, your shoes you wear, how you run, and I have decided that this is going to be the hill I stick my my final stand and die on one day, so I'm going to continue to go down with the whole stop heel striking argument. So that is what we're going to talk about today, which is stop heel striking, and You probably know what that means, but if you don't, that's the form of running where you land on your heel when you run. So we're going to talk about a few things, but it kind of stems from today I gave a talk to a few kids who did a little running clinic. I had several kids that were going to try out for track, and so I opened it up and had a few kids come. And we talked more about running and the the sport of cross-country and track, and it was it kind of highlighted a little bit of confusion that I've known but haven't been able to put a finger on and and I put together some resources after the fact but a big thing that's very clear to me is that there's a lot of confusion about running and running is an amazing thing because anyone has access to it like all you need to do to go run is just put some shoes on and go run right which is a fantastic thing in the same way that soccer is so universal because it's very accessible to people running is very similar but this comes at a problem because most people do not have the strength or the skill that they need to be able to run. If you consider most people that say, I'm going to get healthy, people think I'm going to get healthy. So, you know, maybe they don't go to the gym. They just go for a run or for a walk, right? Generally, they've been sitting down at school or at uh, at a job for several years. They've gotten out of shape. They've lost some strength and not as, um, let's say, light as they used to be. And then they want to go running, but they have lost all of the skill and the ability they need to actually run well without getting injured. And you see this this huge increase in soft tissue overuse and chronic pain that comes from people that run all the time. And a lot of that comes because they got into it before they were ready. And then running is one of those things that you run, but you run more. Like you start with well, one mile as a start, you do a 5K, then you get to six miles, seven miles, eight miles, and you start to do more and more and more. So it's a volume sport because as your body gets more accustomed to it, you need a higher dose of that to get the same level of feeling or energy or training stimulus. So one of the first things that is important is, and this may not apply to everybody, but there's there's this big misconception, especially among athletes, that cross country will train you to stay in shape over the fall. So one of the things, just as we think about why the different sport of running, when you're in middle school and high school, a lot of people will think that, oh, I'm a soccer player and, you know, girl soccer has a sport in the, maybe I'm backwards, um, girl soccer has a sport in the spring and so they do a lot of cross country in the fall to train, right, where they run with the team over the summer. And it's not that that's a bad, it's not that that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, so to speak, but it's the idea of what they're using it for is not going to prepare them for their sport. So you got to think about the context of the sport. So cross country and track are their own sports. They're not just supplemental training. And the thing is, unless the energy system and the timing of the event that you are going to be doing. So let's say if you're going to do a 
short distance sprint, a 55 meter, 100 meter sprint, and that, that kind of parallels to doing a five or six second sprint on a football field or soccer field, those two have correlation, right? So the same time, same energy system, so it's maximum effort. Training to get better at track or cross country is likely going to have no crossover to any of the sport. And you think about cross country, it's a long steady distance training. So that's true for all long distance running. This stands in in contrast to the context of basically every other team sport, which all focus on high intensity, short short duration efforts. So the thing is you can train to be aerobically fit and be in really good shape and have a very high aerobic threshold. And the majority of your muscles are going to be this type one, the slow twitch, kind of long distance, low micro-mitochondrial density muscle fibers. Or you can train to be fast, expire, powerful, explosive, quick, all that fun stuff and have a majority type two. So the bigger, stronger one. So it's obviously it's not that simple. It doesn't break down that, that cleanly from a from a um, muscular physiology uh, standpoint, but the main focus needs to be on the fact that doing cross country or just going out and running four miles or six miles is not going to get you in shape for tennis or or even make you a better tennis player. It's likely going to have the opposite effect. So I was having this conversation with one of the kids today. It doesn't matter if you have the endurance and conditioning to go and last for a 20, 25 volley round or I guess this 20 25 shot volley if you can't get to the first two or three so if you're not fast enough and quick enough to be able to react it doesn't matter how good your conditioning is and so this is the idea that you have to train to be able to hit the speed and the strength you need to be effective in any other context whether that's strength or a sport so this is all to be said that if you want to make running your primary sport, then by all means, go for it. I mean, I ran track and cross country for years when I was in middle and high school and did it, uh, rowing as a when I was in college. And it was great for me. It was just a constant moving and I needed that for my brain. And the thing is that all I'm concerned about is that I want there to be transparency and understand that what you're doing is not necessarily going to be beneficial when it comes to other aspects of athletic development. A lot of times I see kids, and I was a lot like this, is you may not be as confident in your abilities as an athlete in other areas. So like, oh, I can't really play basketball, or I'm not good at throwing a football, or I'm not fast. So I guess I'll do cross country. And and there's, there's something to be said for the culture that comes with that. But what you don't want to do is start cutting things out of your life because you don't feel like you're good at them. And just, oh, I guess I'll go run. You want to continue to push yourself, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, to try different things and continue to grow and get better. And the other thing is, is if you're an athlete with basically aspirations outside of running sports and you're going to pursue running as a second or third sport, I always push kids to do track over cross country simply because there's more commonly a focus on, and specifically within track, the short to mid-distance running, so the one to 800-meter events. Specifically because there's a much higher emphasis on correct running form and running mechanics in these events. When you're doing long distance, you can kind of get away with being a little bit sloppy. Maybe there's no one looking, no one's looking at your strength or your overall ability. But the more power and speed and performance you need from your body, the less room for error you have. So the guys that do the 100 meter, the men and women that do the 100, 200 meter sprints, they got every step visualized and down the hurdles. All of those things are down to a T and they can visualize every step and it's so down to a second. So the thing is that running is a skill. Running requires strength, 
control, balance, coordination, and a pretty decent pain tolerance to be able to do it well. Anyone can go out for a run. And like I said before, all you need is a bit of space, maybe even just a treadmill and a pair of shoes. But just because you can doesn't mean you should in a sense, right? Just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean you have the ability. And the thing is, without a focus on practice and proper technique, developing your strength, having a base of movement-specific conditioning, meaning that you're able to run and they keep the same form, you're going to risk injury. You may run yourself into injury. Ha, get it? Pun? You run yourself into in injury? It was a pun? Well, we'll keep going. So the whole point is that there is a, a big misunderstanding in this. We'll get to this about the proper form for running. And some people, and it was popularized in the 80s, 90s, the heel striking thing. But to take a step back to think about this from a evolutionary perspective, how we evolve, how we developed as humans, humans are bipedal, which means we have two, we walk and move off of two legs as opposed to four, which are quadruped. But so there are two different types of movement patterns for us. We do walking or running. And the big difference here is that when you start to run or jog or trot, however you want to call it, you have an introduction of a flight phase, and that means that you're you're in the air. So when you walk, you always have one foot on the ground. You're literally moving one foot and shifting weight side to side from one foot to the other. And this is pretty amazing because what it does is it allows us to stand upright for as long as we want. We can use our other our arms for stuff like holding tools and developing things. And this is all because of our heels. So if you look at the way most quadrupeds are, they have a higher, longer, what would be an Achilles heel cord, and they can get more power and more explosive because of that. But they can't shift their weight back. I mean, maybe some of you have dogs that will shift their weight back on their hind legs and stand up for a moment or two. And sometimes you see bears or elephants that can kind of shift their weight up. But they can't maintain that for a long period of time. And so the ability to have a a foot with a heel that we can heel strike and maintain balance as we walk is amazing. And that, because when you walk, there's, it's what's called a ground contact time. And the ground contact time is the amount of time that you are touching the ground. So if you are sprinting as fast as you can, you want a short ground contact time. So you hit it and you pop back up. If you're walking, you're going to spend a lot of time with each foot on the ground. And if you don't have something that can balance that and actively give stability, you're not gonna be able to sustain that, right? So this allows us to walk long periods of distance pretty steadily, but we do sacrifice a great deal of speed and velocity when it comes to doing this. So, I mean, if you go race a, a dog or a horse or any four-legged animal, you let me know how fast you feel. And, you know, also you let me know how, how much you miss having hands versus having to walk. Would you rather be faster or have hands that work? So, um, so that, that's just a general set for like, that's why we're on two feet, right? So we walk and it's one foot going to the next and we always have a point of contact with the ground. But the moment we transition to a jog, no matter how slow it is, we introduce flight into our stride. And this means we're jumping from one foot to the other. And this requires a new movement pattern, all right? So the forefoot strike where we're landing on the front to they think the midfoot to the front foot. Now to visualize this, think about when you're jumping rope, if you're jumping, you're on the front of your feet, you're bouncing like Rocky or, you know, uh, Apollo. All of those guys, Apollo Creed, I, I don't know, I haven't watched the new movies, I just know the old Rocky ones. But you're shifting, you're jumping on your, the front of your feet. Now if you imagine 
you shifted so you're on your heels, you jump up and down. That doesn't seem pretty comfortable and probably is pretty painful. And the thing is that our ankles, our calves, and our Achilles heel, the, the heel core, the Achilles tendon, and the heel cord are all designed to work as shock absorbers for our strides. And what this means is that this allows us to land softly, absorb force, and reproduce it effectively for hundreds and thousands of times in a row without getting hurt, which is amazing because that's what we do when we run is we go, if you can run for 10 steps, that's great, but it's not going to get you very far. But if you can run for 10,000 steps, that's where you're covering distance. So the thing is, in addition to that, we have something called pronation, which unfortunately is very maligned by marketing and people say pronation is bad. We need pronation control shoes. But pronation is completely natural and it's actually really beneficial. It's how we, again, manage to not get injured. So if you've ever seen parkour people or you know, people that jump off of stuff and they land and roll like stunt doubles in movies, they're using pronation as a, in a different setting where they are spreading out the force. So when you land, generally you should land on the outside of your pinky. So the outside, the fifth metatarsal, which is that pinky, the, the foot in the bone, the bone in the foot on the outside of your foot, you will roll across your foot and pronate the strike and then you push off that big toe. So that's how your foot naturally rolls and splays because it's got a beautiful design of bones that spread out the force from impact. And the thing is, unfortunately, even in the face of a tremendous body of evidence empirically, you can looking at people running fast and how the body is designed because so simply, you weren't born with shoes. People managed to live for a long time without shoes, and we survived. And in this last 40, 50 years where we have amazing shoes, it doesn't seem to have solved all of our problems. If anything, it's made it worse. And there's also a data in terms of the force upon impact from when you land on a heel strike versus a forefoot strike. People continue to accept heel striking as a proper form of running. And... The problem is that just because you can do something and do it for a long period of time doesn't mean it's ideal or healthy. For example, you can drive a car on a flat tire for a long period of time, but that doesn't mean it's best for the car. And you want to think about the fact that when you strike with your heel, you land on the heels first, which means that you take away all of the benefit from the ankle, from the pronation, from the calf, from the, the whole foot, that ankle, foot, calf complex. You take away all of that shock absorption benefit and all of the force goes straight into the knee. And the thing is that there's a, the biggest problem is that people are taking the easy way out. They want to just get out and run and they don't have the strength to do it because it takes babies and young children years to develop the strength in your arches to be able to stand up and walk and move. But when you start strapping shoes and kids at an earlier age, they start sitting down more, they're not running around and playing what happens is they're not getting that strength. And then we definitely lose it when we're in really really stiff shoes to go and sit at work and we're not on our feet. What happens is we're not prepared to run. And so all of the ligaments in our legs, the muscles, we, we have this higher tendency for overuse injuries in our joints, even muscle strains from improper loading. So straining your hamstrings when you're overextending. And the big thing is heel striking isn't possible without the modern day shoe. If you don't have one to two inches of thick foam padding under the heel and a raised heel, you can't heel strike. You can't heel strike barefoot. I mean, that's the simplest thing. If you take your shoes off, you cannot heel strike on hard ground. And that's, but you can forefoot strike. You can still run. It just, you can't run the lazy way. That's like taking, 
I'll get to the chair in a second. Let me one thing at a time. So basically, what happens is these shoes with a raised heel, they they designed to put the foot in the correct position because you have a raised heel and it puts the foot slightly anchored down. So the thinking is that oh, if I land flat on the shoe, my foot will be in that per the right position, but it doesn't work like that because the whole foot contacts at the ground and as you get fatigued, it allows you to heel strike more and more. And what this does is it encourages sloppy and potentially injuring running form. And the thing is that the big problem here is that you're not actually teaching a second movement pattern. What you're doing is taking a walking pattern where you reach out and strike with the heel first, which is a pattern for walking, and then you're trying to speed it up. And the hamstring strains and the, the muscle strains in the back of the leg come from, okay, if I'm walking, now I'm trying to speed walk, and now I'm speed jogging, and now I'm going to speed up more. You're trying to ask more and more and more from this, and people stand straight up, and they reach out further and further with their heel, and then they get overextended. Over time, if you try and sprint like that, that's how you strain a hamstring because you're reaching too far forward and stretching the hamstring out because you're trying to do a walking pattern for a sprint, and it does not work like that. And so much like the modern day office chairs, right? So they they promise you all ergonomic features and all these gimmicks to reduce your back pain. Today's shoes, basically, they promise everything from stability to performance to breathability to flexibility to safety. But it, just like back pain has not been fixed by improving chair technology, your poor running form and your leg injuries are not going to be fixed by more shoe technology. I mean, the vast majority of footwear today is built around is built around aesthetics. It's about how the shoe looks and marketing. Oh, this is a shoe. If you can explain to me the difference between a running shoe, a training shoe, a tennis shoe, a walking shoe, a hiking shoe, and a leisure shoe, then I would love to listen. But the thing is, you can't because there's such little difference other than maybe some different portions of rubber and a little bit thicker at different areas. But we've been led to believe now for decades that the next jump in performance is going to fix the foot pain in your shoes. Like I remember when I was running, the Asics had like a, I don't know, they always had some shoe, but it was like the, the Asics, it was like the Cabana 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's like, how are they making a new shoe every year? It's not the Michael Jordan, the Air Jordans 24, where it's obviously done because it looks good. What in the world are you doing to improve shoe technology year after year after year? And if it were doing it, it would we would see a dramatic decrease in terms of all the injury, and we don't. And that should tell you something. And the fact that they go, well, every 300 miles you should switch your shoes out, or 400, or it's a few hundred miles, it's like, oh, that's great. So my shoes are basically only good for a few months, and I have to buy another $160 pair of shoes it's got the latest technology in it. It seems very convenient for you, right? Or not inconvenient for you, convenient for the shoe people. And the thing is, we've been sold shoes to control pronation, control movement, support your ankles, give you stability. We have insoles that cost thousands of dollars. All of these things should have fixed our problems, but they're not. And all of these things make your foot pain worse because you're never getting better. The incidence of foot pain and overuse injury is getting worse. It's just more and more common. And the simple fact is there is no shoe that can do for your feet what your feet should be able to do for themselves. You cannot, technology will not do for your body something that it should be able to do. Nothing will replace exercise and sleep and drinking water and eating well. Nothing can ever replace that. So stop looking to exercise as the cheap thing. So 
I know I'm presenting a lot of problems here, but the simple, like, the thing, and I'll get to this solution, or at least a, a suggestion in a second, but when I wear my uh, my super minimalist shoes, and unfortunately I've started wearing the, uh, the five-finger shoes, and there's two problems with that, is one, every time anybody sees me and then they're like, oh, you're that guy, I'm not gonna listen to you anymore because you look like a clown. And the other part is they're so comfortable. I, I hate it because I really like wearing them, but now it's like, oh, I'm that guy now, but it is what it is. The people look at me and they go, well, what about the support? How do you move? Do you run on those two? You play basketball? You lift? Wait. And it's they look at me like I'm about to die. It's like, but the thing is that your feet have built in support through its beautifully designed arch. It's a composition of fascia, muscle, bone. You have all of these things. You just have to put the work in to develop it. And the thing is, I'm not saying that shoes don't have benefit. Like, I wear shoes every day, and I'm very grateful that I don't get warts on my feet and cut my feet and step get stepped on or whatever it is. My feet aren't that cold. I mean, I love it. But I'm just saying that the injury in the industry has gotten carried away, and people have fallen for the simple fix that's just too good to be true. And when it comes to your feet and your shoes, we've gotten it backwards. You can't, The shoe should be made for your foot, not the other way around. You can't have a foot that's going to fit into this shoe somehow. I did, I try to put together a list of shoes that I recommend and just looking at what's out there. It is asinine, truly ridiculous, some of the shoes. It's like people, I can't believe people make this and think it's like, oh, you know, this is going to be a good fit functionally. It doesn't, it's unbelievable. But the whole point is that you have to think about what your shoe, you have to think about the fact that your shoe is a tool for your foot. That, will, that you can work with it to improve your function and strength. It should not be a cast that impedes your movement. So I've talked about the thing in the past, my uh, suggestion about shoes, but the big takeaway from this whole thing is that you need to set yourself up for success by choosing shoes that allow your feet to move naturally. If you have a shoe with a raised heel, it makes it harder for you to do a four-foot strike because you have to, instead of raising your heel you know, five millimeters off to not strike your heel, you have to raise it an inch and five millimeters because you have an inch of foam under your feet that's not natural. You have to, so setting yourself up up for success that way is huge. And second, you need to put the work in to develop the skill and strength required to be a good runner. So in the show notes, I'll put a link to a video I put together that's got a whole list of foot, ankle exercises that are really helpful. And I'll also attach a list of some of the Very hard to come by shoes that I found that I think are at least decent starting points and also the shoes that I wear. But as a quick recap, the four things that you got to have in a shoe is it needs to be fat, fat, flat. The shoe needs to be flat, meaning that it needs to have a zero drop or less than 0.8 or less than eight millimeters. So that's the heel or toe need to be on the same level. The shoe should be flexible. You should be able to roll it up. It shouldn't be impossible to try and bend it halfway through. The shoe needs to be wide in the toe box so that your toes can move around, have some area to actually move and reintegrate with the world. And the sole needs to be thin. If you're on this inch padding of foam and you step sideways, you're more likely to roll your foot. You don't want to be in something you have to slow down to a stop just to make a right turn. And the proprioceptive feedback you get from the shoe touching the ground or feeling the ground helps you adjust to the footing. So... I won't go more in the shoes. I already did that until a few weeks go by and I get a foot thing again and I want to talk more about it. But the whole point is that if you don't think about it, your feet will start to hurt. They get weaker and you're going to have to start, you're going to start having things on your calves, your knees, your hips, all coming from the feet. 
Your feet are incredibly important if you want to be a runner, whether it as a sport, whether as just a pastime, or whether to be part of another as a supplement to another sport and be a better tennis player or volleyball player. Your feet, your shoes, and your running form all matter tremendously. So give them the importance they deserve and make that a priority and you will see tremendous dividends. So I will talk about this till I'm blue in the face as you have already seen. If you have any questions, do not hesitate. You can always reach out to me through any of the social media things that I'm always, I just live for social media, obviously. So I'm always available. Otherwise, please send this to somebody who is struggling to figure out how to improve their feet and their shoes. And I will be a happy, a happy resource for them. I appreciate you all listening. Thank you so much for being patient once again. We will talk next week. Otherwise, have a great week. Be your best self. Share this. Rate it. Review all that stuff. Talk soon. Bye.